And we're looking at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. It's weird when you're like standing up front in front of people and you like make eye contact. They don't want to like look at you because they don't want you to go like, hey, Jarrett. And he's like, oh, crap, he said my name and everybody's looking at me now. Sorry, Jarrett. Looking at Galatians 5. So we are in week four of our marriage series for the month of May, God's a Design for Marriage. And I know I put this in the video, and I guess I wanted to say it here in person as well, that the last three weeks have been awesome. Just hearing people's um, feedback regarding what they've been getting from this series. I don't do a lot of series sermons. Um, I like to go, as you guys know, kind of a verse-by-verse thing. I like to focus on a particular book. Every once in a while, I'll pick a topic and preach a sermon on a topic, but this series has just been good because it's been edifying and encouraging for people that are either married or they're not married. And, you know, in our first week, we spoke about the importance of getting to know the person that we're either married to or moving forward if we're, if we're with someone and we're contemplating marriage, the significance and the importance of studying the person, having an, an idea of who they are and them knowing who we are. And then understanding as well that this will be a process that takes place even as we grow old together. And then, I always love the giggles in church. And then in week two, we spoke about the roles of man and woman, the roles of husband and wife in a marriage, which is one that can be somewhat challenging for us to comprehend and understand because we use words such as authority and headship and submission, words that today are kind of seen as, you know, buzzwords among culture. Um, especially with women in regards to, you know, I don't need no man, I'm not going to submit to a man and all that stuff. But the, the challenge that I was, I guess, putting on the man and the woman is, is, is that with men, we're called to lead with a gentle, loving hand as opposed to an arrogant machismo head. You know what I mean? And for women, there has to be this sense of trust and submission unto the husband as you were submitting unto the Lord. So your reverence for God is then shown in your submission to your husband. You don't see your husband as God. That's not what that means. But because you're a Christian woman, you do show a sense of submission and honoring to your husband because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And then last week, we spoke about the power of the tongue, right? We spoke about criticism. That was a a huge component of our focus and how we're all guilty of it. The Bible is explicit in saying that, that we've all fallen short when it comes to our ability to tame our tongues. We've all hurled insults at people. We've been on the receiving end of those insults, and we can acknowledge that there is a power in that as well. But also in knowing that, that we also have to see that there is a power in the praise that we give one another and how we can so easily fall short of that, especially as Christians especially within the covenant of marriage. And if our words hold such a power to people, let's say just on this superficial social level of people outside of our marriage, imagine the power of our words within the marriage. And a lot of the times you guys would agree that it's those who are closest to us that can hurt us the most because they're the closest to our hearts, right? So challenging you guys in your marriages to understand and know that there's a power in your praise to one another. And I'll say it once again, 
the tail wagging analogy that I gave you. When my wife praises me, if I had a tail, it would be wagging. I love when she gives me encouragement. It doesn't have to be anything huge. It doesn't have to be anything, you know, where, where I can tell she's like faking this praise. It's just a little like, hey, I've noticed this. Or I really appreciate you doing this. It's an encouragement for me in my role as a husband. But then as a husband, I'm also called and should desire to do that with my bride as well to encourage her in her role of what she's doing as a mother, as a wife, as a, as a, a, a pastor's wife even as well. So we have to, to make sure that we, we put those into practice. But what we're going to be talking about today is we're kind of going to be packaging all three of these weeks um, up together and speaking about life by the Spirit or walking in the Spirit, fruits of the Spirit. And as I said to you guys in the midweek message, I think a word that has come up so often um, when we speak about being a Christian and our Christian character is this word called humility. You know, us being modest with, with other people, especially people um, within the church, us being mindful and not being boastful or proud, but putting the interests of others in front of our own interests. You guys come to a church, it's called Agape Center. I've had people come up to me and say, well, what is Agape mean it is greek for the ultimate love it is a sacrificial love a godly love you are putting your interests back behind the interests of others you are loving your neighbor as you love yourself if you will and this is what it means to be a christian but we struggle and i stand up here once again as i spoke weeks ago the struggle is real when it comes to portraying and showing certain characteristics as a Christian. It is. And this is just, once again, evident of our fallen nature, right? It is evident of, our, of us still being encapsulated in this sin with a battle of, of, of flesh and spirit going on inside of us. And I, and I didn't tell my wife I was going to do this, but when we speak about the fruit of the Spirit, we have to understand and realize that there's only one fruit, really, that is being listed. And I want to break this down to you guys, too, because when we go through here, and I'll break it down here in Galatians 5, he's going to list, Paul's going to list different attributes of the flesh. And these are all multiple attributes that we'll go across. You guys, when we went through the book of 1 Corinthians, we read about gifts, right? There's multiple gifts that the Holy Spirit bestows on the church. But not, we're not all going to be given all the gifts. Certain people have certain gifts that are distributed to them. When we read about, once again, the, 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 the factors and the indulgence of the flesh, that there are people that can be really, really indulging in one aspect and maybe not have another aspect of that. But as Christians, as we're going to go through here in Galatians 5, that we all in some way, shape, or form should be showing in our Christian life at some degree, and we're not perfect at it, but at some degree should be showing these, as I like to say, almost like these tastes of the fruit of the Spirit. But I'll break that down for you as well. So starting off here in verse 13 where it says, Life by the Spirit in Galatians 5, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. 
For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself, as we just got done talking about. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the, the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So you guys remember a few weeks ago I said the end that we have as a Christian is we recognize that there is a battle going on inside of us. We, we can't claim ignorance to this. We're no longer blind to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. It's not controlling us in a manner in a way to where we're just operating through life in the darkness. We now know sin. We have a consciousness of our sin. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And I'll break that down for you guys as well in a little bit. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Se sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, who live like this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, I had a discussion with Mariah earlier this week, and it was something that I felt like I wanted to even bring up in the sermon this, uh, this Sunday was when you guys read through the Bible, and you guys read especially in the epistles, the letters that are authored by Paul, I want you guys to understand that the layout and the construct of these books, like Galatians and especially Ephesians, are in a manner and a way for your understanding and your teachings. And what I want to break down to you is there's two parts to the way that you guys can look at these, um, these books, or there's two ways that you should look at them. Paul, many times in the beginning of his writings, will give what's referred to as indicatives. It's a fancy word. Some of you may know what it is. Some of you may not. Indicatives are basically like motives or reasons or identities. So the, let's say uh, uh, Ephesians is a, is a great book to look at. The first three chapters of Ephesians, you will see that Paul is basically letting you as a Christian know who you are in Jesus Christ. Very encouraging. It's a great reminder. For some, it may even be a revelation, right? You read through Ephesians, the first three chapters, you see these indicatives that are laid out for you like, okay, this is who I am as a child of God. This is who I am called to be as a Christian. And then the final chapters of Ephesians, there are then called imperatives, which means commands. So you identify and know who you are as a Christian, which then should lead into what? the outward showing of your identity. And this is very important for us because sometimes we can so easily forget one or the other. Sometimes we can easily look at people and we can just focus all on imperatives, right? 
We can look at people and just sit there and go, man, they're not showing Christ. They're not da-da-da. Well, here's a good idea or a good way to minister to those people. Remind them of who they are as a Christian. Paul does a phenomenal job when he's preaching and teaching to the, the church of Corinth. This was a church that he referred to as brothers and sisters, as I said when I taught through this. He referred to them as saints. He never said that they weren't a Christian. But he gives this very, very powerful phrase, and he says, I speak to you as wise people. Like, I'm reminding you of who you are as a child of God. So in that reminder and that understanding, we then need to know and remind ourselves, okay, this is how I am called to be as a Christian. And there's a power in that understanding. There really is. And when we look at our marriages and stuff, you guys, the first three weeks that I've talked to you guys and I've preached to you guys about being a husband, being a wife, or looking forward if you, if you end up getting married, when you find yourself in these places and these times where you're maybe falling to the desires of the flesh, when you read 1 Corinthians 13, it's referred to as the love chapter, right? It is, a, it is a book that is read at weddings and all of that. I'll tell you this right now. It is a book that when I read it, I get convicted. Because I sit there and I realize, man, I, I can fall short at all of these every day. But there is a beauty in being reminded of who we are as Christians. So when we, when we find ourselves in this place where we are falling to these desires of the flesh. And Paul makes a great point to say, living, living as such. There's a difference between slipping to it and a difference between living in it. And I've heard people wrestle and battle with this fact that, okay, I'm living as such, but Jesus will just forgive me. And that's like, no, you, you can't do that. that. That's taking advantage of God's grace. We're called because, yes, His grace abounds. doesn't call for us to sin even much more, so His grace may abound more. That's not the case. As I just said earlier, you as a Christian, you've crucified sin. You've put sin to death. But you will slip to it. You will. This is just real talk as a Christian. If I stood up here and I just spoke to you guys that you should be doing the whole things, the, the walking in the Spirit every day, spot on, what, you guys would sit there right out the gate and just feel convicted You'd feel guilt, you'd feel shame because some of you failed at it this morning, right? But we got to get to a place and understanding of where we remind ourselves daily, daily of who we are as Christians, who we are as children of God. And that effect needs to be shown to others because then you indirectly give them permission and encourage them to do the same thing as a Christian, but when we read through here in, in Galatians, I want you guys to, to look at this in verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit. The word fruit here is a Greek word that's referred, it's, it's, the word is karpos. And this is being used in the singular form, not plural. Even though it follows with a plurality of characteristics, this word here is just being referenced to one. One. My wife and I, we have in our front yard, we refer to it as the love tree. We planted it, and I think it was our third anniversary. We put it right in the, the middle of the side yard where we used to play with the kids, like throwing footballs and stuff like that. And it has bloomed into this, this pretty tree. I mean, it sits out there in the yard. My wife and I will you know, stand out there and we're doing yard work and 
sometimes we'll like just come together and like wrap our arms around each other and be like, ah, oh, like look, there's our love tree and all this stuff. This tree doesn't in a sense bear fruit, okay? There's no fruit hanging from it. If it did, it would probably be eaten by kids. But the thing is though, is, is if this tree did bear fruit, this love tree, what would the fruit be that this tree bared? What would the name of the fruit be? It's a love tree, so what fruit? Love fruit. Love fruit, okay? So when we read this and we watch this, as I said earlier, you guys can read the desires of the flesh, okay? There's sexual immorality. There's impurity. There's idolatry. Some of us can struggle or, or some people can be in a place where they are maybe worse off than others in certain areas and arenas of this, okay? But as a Christian... As a Christian, we are all called to show some level or degree of the fruit of love. And what is that fruit? Well, it goes on to say, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are things that if, if my wife and I, our love tree was to bear fruit, and I was to bite into this fruit, because it's the identifier of the tree, right? You guys got to... We all can understand that. An apple tree doesn't grow oranges because it wouldn't be an apple tree. What would it be, church? An orange tree. We're, we're all together on that. So if I was to take a bite of this fruit tree, this, this, this love tree that's bearing the fruit of love, and I was to take a bite of it, what should I taste in this fruit? Well, it says it should be a taste of joy. There should be a taste of peace. There should be a taste of forbearance. I can taste a, a hint of kindness. Man, there's a whole lot of goodness in this fruit. Man, do you, do you taste a little bit of that faithfulness or that gentleness? One that a lot of people struggle with? Self-control. And I sit here though and I, I think about this and I go, as Christians... As individuals who, who, who claim to be of the kingdom of God, this is our identifier amongst each other and to the world of our walk with Jesus Christ. This is the stuff that just sets us apart. This fruit and this love that's being spoken about here is not a love that the world talks about. This is a transcendent, supernatural kind of love. It is a love that transforms people when they encounter this kind of love. It is also a love that will repel people from you if they encounter it. They just might think you're weird for loving this way. This is the kind of love that, in the world's eyes, doesn't make much sense. I mean, when we look through this, guys, I mean, think about it. Like joy... That's a biggie. That is a biggie with Christians. That means that regardless of whatever's going on in this crazy world, regardless of the circumstances that's going on maybe in your own life, you're going to mourn, you're going to be hurt, you're going to be sad. But at the end of the day, joy has never left you. Because you know who you belong to. And as I said earlier, you know who you are because you belong to him.
that joy doesn't leave. There's a peace about knowing that you belong to God. There's this inner peace that we have to sit there and, and understand and says the very next thing is, is peace. My wife and I, in, in ministering and shepherding people through a pandemic and election season and all this weird social, what I call sin stuff that's being broadcasted on the news, you see a lot of peace being unhinged from people. What do those people need, church, when they are in the midst of that? What are we called to do? We have to remind them of who they belong to. Remind them of who they are. And it's an understanding of who they are, who you are as a church, that guess what you then become more faithful at doing? Living out the imperatives, the commands. It's this beautiful thing. It's this supernatural thing that takes place in the heart of a Christian. You guys may struggle day in and day out with thinking like, okay, I need to do better at showing joy. Pastor's talking about joy as a fruit. I'm pretty good at forbearance. My goodness, though, that's lacking. So I'm going to really, on Tuesdays, I'm going to focus on goodness. Thursdays, that is not what I'm talking about. That is not. When you know and remember not just what God did for you. That's important. That is. But what I really feel like and believe that the true sanctifying work begins, the, the, the nature of where you become more and more like Christ, being changed day in and day out, that's what sanctification means. Your heart is literally being transformed. It is being softened. It is being turned from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Why I really think that that begins to take place is when we truly stop and understand and know how awesome and big and glorious God is. It isn't just a matter of just remembering what he did for us on the cross. That's important. That is. That's understanding his grace. Because we know that we were saved through grace, by grace alone, in the faith of Jesus Christ and his finished work. We know that. But we have to get to this place, too, where in our sanctification process that in remembering how big and awesome God is, the creator of all, and that we belong to him and we're a part of his kingdom. And as that, that song says, he's the one that holds us fast. We're called to hold on to him. We're called to cling to him. But here's the great news. In the midst of your sanctification process, it's like you being in a lake and you're trying to figure out how to swim and you got waves smashing you in the face and your, your, your stroke's all weird and all that and all this stuff's going on. And you find those moments where you're panicked or you think you're, you're just going to be separated. You know that the person that's there with you is holding on to you. And he's never going to let you go. We forget that. I don't ever want to, as a pastor, sit up here and just preach to you and go, okay, it's on you guys to make sure that you're doing these things and that you're practicing things and you're disciplined in these things. Guys, the good news, too, as a Christian is you have a heavenly father that in the midst of you trying to figure this out, knowing in part, being sanctified, being in the shop room, right, slipping every once in a while to sin, repenting of that sin, trusting in his faithfulness that he forgives you and cleanses you of all unrighteousness, in the midst of all of that, guess what? He will always hold you fast. He'll never let you go. We have to remember that as Christians. Our struggles sometimes align with the fact that we think, man, I really screwed up this time. I really messed up. 
I, I don't know if I really believe or understand that this one, no, is a Christian. God's holding on to you. He's holding you fast. He wants you to understand that, that these trees that, that bear fruit, this love tree, the only way that a tree can ever grow and bear fruit is a tree has to be what? It has to be nurtured. It has to be watered. It has to be tended to. My wife and I, we have to go out there every once in a while because when I mow around the tree, the tree sometimes the branches will hang down real low and when I mow, the branches will slap me in the face because I'm trying to get down real low to get under it. And we have to go and we kind of prune and cut the tree and then the branches start to grow a little bit different. Like this is us tending to the tree. So for any tree though that's bearing fruit, it has to be tended to properly. Your faith and your relationship with Jesus Christ has to be tended to. This isn't just a one and done thing. This isn't just, okay, I say a prayer, I get dipped in some water, and I'm good and I'm ready to go. That's not what being a Christian is. God has put you in avenues and gardens in your life, in particular, some of you in here, your marriage, to tend to that relationship. By either you as a, as, a, as a union under the covenant of marriage, tending to each other and encouraging one another, or maybe it just sometimes feels like it's just simply you. Maybe it feels like it's just simply you that cares. But this is how big and awesome God is, is He's holding you fast through it. He'll grow you in the midst of this as a Christian. We, we, we can struggle with this. We can sit there and we can go, okay, like, I, I feel like I want to bear more fruit. I feel like I want to do this and I want to be more like that. It starts with, once again, the indicatives. It starts with remembering who you are as a Christian. It, it then goes into, okay, when I know and remember who I am, I now know that I need to nurture that. And we, we can undermine that. It, it involves the company we keep. It involves the things that we watch. It involves all of those things. Why does that matter? Why do those things, those superficial things even matter when I speak about that? Because when it says here, we're reminded, once again, we look at Galatians 5, starting off at verse 13. Here's some indicatives for you. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be what? Free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, here's an imperative. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I go back once again to what Sherry said a couple years ago, which was just amazing. And I think you had said it to my wife or someone here in the church. When you are actually in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, the desires of the flesh, they don't seem so desirable anymore. But isn't it this crazy thing and irony that takes place in us as, as, as people with flesh? And we know this. But man, it's so easy. It's like there's something upon us that just tends to make us want to wander a little bit. Like, you know, I, I've been doing pretty well. I feel pretty good. Like, you know, I've, I, I feel at peace. 
I'm just gonna, it's almost like once again, I gave you that analogy of like you're trying to swim and, and you're kicking and you feel like, okay, I'm getting this. Like I'm getting this. And, and a, a part of us is like, sometimes kids do it when we're trying to teach them how to swim. Like at, at first it's like, don't let go, don't let go. And then after a while they get a little comfortable and then they want to push away. Like, well, just let, let me go for a little bit. And they kick and they, whatever. And you, you let them go and what do they do? They just sink. God will give us up to that. He will let us, in, in the midst of learning a lesson, he'll let you go. Like, you want to push away? Push away, child. You can't do this without me. And it's not going to be perfect. But here's the deal. You've been clothed with my righteousness because now you've been justified because of what I've done for you. And it's in that justification that we're called to have peace now about all these things. So that goes on into even saying too when we, when we continue on here because I've had people ask me, it says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What does that mean? What does it mean to, to, to no longer be under the law? Well, if we were to look at 1 Timothy 1.9, it says that the law was not made for the righteous, but for the unrighteous, the ungodly, and the sinful. I want you guys to think about this. When we lived of the world, and we were sinful, didn't know Christ, there's a law that God had put in front of us to remind us and for us to look at and to read and go, okay, this is how sinful I am, this is how holy He is. And an analogy, because I can't stop with analogies with you guys that I want to give you, is when I was a kid, we had a neighbor, a neighbor boy that had one of those big above-ground pools. I think they're still pretty popular these days. It was about a 20-foot pool, and we would get a couple of the neighbor kids in the pool. And we would run around this pool because we'd want to get like a whirlpool going, right? We want to get a current going. And then what we would do after we got it really going is we would then turn around and try to like swim against it, right? And this is kind of the law for us as, as sinners, right? The law kind of acts as this, this path, this guide kind of. It's this current. And it's always going. And it's perfect. It's not breaking. But we as sinners, when we are trying to go against it, we're getting knocked around, we're getting knocked over. I remember my friends, like we had this one little dude named Terrell. He couldn't swim that well and his head was barely above the water. But he would try, and we almost like lost him one time because he like really got hit hard and fell over in the water. We're like, "Oh, Terrell, where's Terrell?" And we see just this kid, like, literally still going around in the thing. So we had to get Terrell and lift him up. But, anyways, that is like our lives as sinners. We're always going against the current. There's this reminder of sin. But when we give our life to the Lord, we understand and know that there's a freedom. In this law. And once again, I always point to that. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. We see the law differently now. It even reminds us, too, I believe, in 1 Timothy, that if the law is used correctly, it's good. Because we know when we read through the Ten Commandments that it's really, these commandments aren't really these burdensome rules, but they're also an expression of love, right? Because we know if we don't commit adultery, if we don't lie, if we don't murder, these are some pretty good things to 
to not do, right? To, to not murder someone, to not lie to them, to not... We know that. So we look at that and we see that it's actually an expression of love. So when we give our life to God, it then becomes where some, some days when we would do this current, instead of fighting the current, you know what we would do? We would get these tubes out and we would just sit in the tubes and just let the current just take us around the pool. And we would just sit there and laugh. So this thing that we would fight against on some days that was knocking us all over, almost drowning Terrell, all those fun things, actually, when we operated and walked and understood it, we literally just floated around gracefully in it. And it was this beautiful thing. And as I said, like the law can be seen as a burden for some, but when we are operating in the Spirit, when we are walking and living in the Spirit, there's really not this headwind or this hurt, bless you, to the law. So this is what Paul is simply trying to say to us. There is no law. In regards to the reason for the law and its creation, there is no law for those who are walking in the ways of the Spirit, who are practicing these things in their life. And once we, we get disciplined in practicing these things and we're, we understand who we are as a Christian, we're now practicing these things, then we start to see the desires of the flesh become less and less. This is how a person begins to change. This is how when a person sees Dawn after 10 years, goes, man, Dawn's different. Because the Holy Spirit reminds us of our righteousness with God. The Holy Spirit can stir up conviction in us about things in our life, and those things are good. So if I'm reminded of my righteousness now, in Christ, I know that I'm called to, as, the, as the, the indicatives say, that I'm called to put off the things of the flesh. The response to that is now what? Not only putting off the things of the flesh, but now walking in the way of the Spirit. Now when I'm walking in the way of the Spirit, the things of the flesh don't even seem that more desirable. Imagine a life that continues on like that day in and day out for years, for weeks. It's almost like the person becomes brand new. Wait a minute. You are brand new. This is why we read in Romans that we're called to be baptized with Jesus Christ. We were crucified with him in death. We then rise with him in glory. But guess what else we're called to do? We walk in newness of life. How do you know you're a Christian? What does Jesus say? You'll know them by their fruit. Is this a person that just gabbed it and grabbed it? Like, yep, I believe Jesus is Lord and Savior, da, 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 but there's no fruit bearing. Well, once again, it goes back to the analogy of a tree. This is why Jesus gives us this, why Paul's given us the analogy. If you're clinging to Christ, the true vine, you'll be nourished by that vine to continue to grow and grow and be more and more like the very vine that you're clinging to. This is the same emphasis with a tree. If a tree is an apple tree, it's going to bear what kind of fruit? It's going to bear apples. But if a tree isn't properly being nourished, it's not being taken care of right, like we read about the fig tree, guess what? It's not going to bear fruit. It's not going to bear good fruit. This is why I say being a Christian is not a one and done thing. This is a process. And you guys need to hold comfort in the fact that it's a process because guess what? You're going to mess up in this process. But you're not called as a Christian to live and the desires of the sin, or desires of the flesh. You're called to walk in the Spirit. And then in the midst of you slipping to a desire of the flesh, 
Guess what Jesus allows you to do? Ask for forgiveness. And guess what else he says? He's faithful in forgiving you. He's faithful. So wait a minute. He, he holds me fast. He doesn't let me go. So in the midst of me even trying to think that I have this figured out and pushing away from him and I screw up, he's so big and awesome and good that he actually uses that for my good but also for his glory. I can come back to him and he's actually still holding me fast and I have a heart of repentance to go, okay, that didn't work out well. Lord, forgive me. And he'll grow me from that process. And then guess what? Chances are I won't slip to that again. Oh my gosh, this is how people are transformed as Christians. You want to know if you're going to heaven? Where does your desires lie? Do you care? This is a beautiful thing. This is where I want people to, to, to think about because we can wrestle with this. How do I know I'm going to heaven? Do you care? Do you have a desire to know Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about showing up to church every Sunday. I'm not talking about pointing at other people that are failing at certain imperatives and all that stuff. I'm talking about you. Do you have a desire to know Christ? But even more so, do you have a desire for other people to know Christ? And what does your life say about that desire? I can remind you all day of who you are as a Christian. In that reminder, you guys should then have an effect that comes from that. Wait a minute. I belong to the Most High God the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all. I belong to him. Him. I'm his child. I've been adopted by him. Man, I want to go out and I want to carry out this look, this attribute as an ambassador to that name. And in the midst of doing that, I find myself no longer slipping to the ways of old because I have a brand new life in Jesus Christ. I close with this. As you guys know, I, I kind of am preaching this and then I want to now kind of just hone it in now when it comes to marriages. I've told people and I've had people tell me we pay money to go to marriage stuff. And I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm not. Marriages fall on some hard times. My wife told me a pretty interesting statistic last night that really struck with me. She was watching this video of this former um, New Age lady. She was a spiritualist and all this stuff. And my wife was throwing out some terms that I had never really heard of. We actually had done some teaching on New Age and all that stuff a couple years ago. But she was talking about the divorce rate amongst couples that are into like New Age and super spiritual stuff is really high because they use this terminology like soulmate and twin flames and all that stuff. How many of you guys heard of that? Right, right, like, oh, like, Jelaine's my twin flame, and it's like this beautiful thing, and like, people say that stuff, but why do you think the divorce rate is so high? Because here's the deal, if it's a twin, if, it, if it's a twin flame, it's not going to go bad. Like, if Jelaine's my soulmate, like, we're just going to be rocking and rolling throughout the whole marriage, right? There isn't going to be any de-weeding of the marriage because it's all flowers and gardens. Bull poop. <laughs> So when these people are in these marriages and these relationships, and all of a sudden, an issue arises. Trouble. As we know in our faith and what our God tells us, it's going to come. That twin flame 
isn't doing much anymore. So what does the person do? I must have got it wrong. That, that I, mu I must have messed up. Jelaine wasn't my twin flame. She wasn't my soulmate. I got to go out and try to make this right. So what do they do? They don't even hesitate. They go and they file for divorce. I messed this one up. I'm going to go on to the next one just to find out what. Same thing, right? Just a different person. Man, there's a lot of de-weed and it has to... I tell people, anyone that tells you that love isn't work is lying. Marriage is work. And when you look at beautiful gardens and all that stuff, understand and know the de-weeding that's had to take place to make that garden look good. When you look at a marriage that you go, okay, they look like they really are a godly couple. Understand and know that there's been fights in that marriage. And there's had to be grace that's been shown in those marriages. There's had to be forgiveness. There's had to be humility. There's had to be forbearance. There's had to be kindness expressed in those marriages. A marriage that is led by the Holy Spirit, I will tell you right now, is a marriage that will never end in divorce. Ever. Ever. How could I make such a claim? Because I believe in God's Word. And I know that if there are two individuals that are together, imperfect is all get out. Husband and wife, imperfect beings that are nourishing their own individual trees of faith to bear this love, this singular fruit that Galatians talks about. If they're nourishing that because they are reminded either by each other or even through their own volition, that they are children of the Most High, which then produces an imperative in them to fulfill and live out what that looks like. If they're doing that, they grow and grow together with the same focus. Man, what an awesome union. You want the best marriage advice in the world, church? Read Galatians 5, starting at verse 13. Read the whole Bible. But the best marriage advice you can get is if you have two individuals that are living out what that says in that line of passage in those scriptures, not only will, you, will your marriage stay intact, your marriage will be healed. It'll be reconciled. And you guys can, as a pastor tells me, you can either say amen or ouch to that because it's true. I've seen it. I've practiced it. I'm a man where I can get full of pride and I can swear up and down that my wife is wrong and there is discord between her and I. We're not saying nothing because I'm right and I'm going to show her I'm right. But I have the Holy Spirit that will sit there and I have the flesh and I have the Spirit that are duking it out. And that's happens in me. that takes place in me because I'm no longer allowed to just do what I want to do. That's what that means. I can't just resort to the flesh. I can't use that as, a, as an excuse because I have the Holy Spirit in me. And He's there reminding me of my righteousness with Christ. This isn't what you're called to be like. You have to humbly love your wife. You have to be a peacemaker. As far as you're concerned, make peace with your wife. What does that mean? That may mean that I have to be the one to go and say, I'm sorry. And my wife has practiced that as well to me. 
And it's this beautiful thing that takes place where all the anger, all the resentment just seems to leave. And it becomes a common theme in the marriage. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just give you thanks once again for your word, Lord, and how your word stirs up conviction, even in myself, Lord, as I'm preaching it. Um, every day that I, that I read it and unpack it, Lord, it just it shows me my heart, Lord. And I just pray that it's, it does the same thing to the people that are listening to it here or even people that listen to it over the internet, Lord, that it just cuts their heart in half as your word says that it is. It's sharper than a double-edged sword, that it discerns and exposes the things of the heart and of the mind. It, it exposes our motives behind what we do. And Lord, I pray that if, if a person is in here or a couple that is in here right now, Lord Jesus, that has just felt like their marriage has just been in a place of, of hurt, a place of the unknown, that they as a Christian, as a wise person, sits back and they understand and they remind themselves and they remember of who they belong to first and foremost and who they've been called to be and they understand and know that there is a power in repenting a power in recognizing where they've been falling short a power in recognizing their sin because they can now turn away from it and ask you for forgiveness and you are faithful in forgiving those who ask for it so, Lord, right now, I ask that those individuals, even right now as they're sitting in the pews, Lord, that they just seek you out, that they repent of their sin, that they ask for forgiveness of where they've been falling short in their marriage. And they know that today is a day to where they're called to rise up and to move forward in newness of life with you, Lord. That they just trust and believe in you, that they trust and believe in the sanctifying, life-changing power of your Holy Spirit. That they understand and know that when they walk in the ways of the Spirit, that the desires of the flesh go away. But even in the midst of slipping to it, they come to you always. That they're reminded and they know that you are just simply holding them fast. And that you're working on them. And whatever work it is that you started in them, Lord, that they trust and understand and believe that you will bring it to completion. Lord, I just pray that this church just develops once again a, a newfound reverence for your bigness and your awesomeness. You are the God of creation, the God of all. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we belong to you. We are your children. And in that, we should be able to expose and show that we walk in your spirit. It is in your name, Jesus Christ, that we pray these things. And everyone said, Amen. Awesome. You guys have a good day.